some people think that uh, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, all your problems go away. I want to tell you that exactly the opposite happens. Because the minute that you, you cross that line of faith and you say, Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and you're my only hope. And you cross that line by faith. The minute you do that, you now are walking against the current, the current of this, this world. And sometimes it's easy for us to just get tired of the push and tired of the walk and tired of living uh, the life and we begin to go with the flow. And it may be that you're coming to the end of the year and you, if you were to take a, a, an assessment of your life, you might say, you know, I feel like I have drifted. I feel like um, I need to hit the brakes of, because I've been drifting too much. And I need to figure out how do I turn my life back to Christ and how do I go against the current again? Uh, maybe you would say, you know, I've been slipping in, in my uh, devotion to God and in, in having time in His Word. I've been, when I think of my prayer life, I don't know that I can honestly say that I consistently pray for others and pray to God. Um, it may be that you would say, uh, I find that I'm slipping in my, my ethics, in my behavior. Um, you, you may say that th th these are all signs that I'm just slipping. I'm just, and I've got to put a stake down, and I've got to say, I'm going to go up against the stream again. I'm going to turn. And, and this is a weekend, because what we want to do is want to look at somebody who kind of just went with the flow. And um, it's, it's an amazing story because he showed no love or concern for God's will in his life, and yet God still used him in a powerful way. Now, that's not the way we want to be used, but that's the way uh, it was for Samson. So we want to look at Samson, and uh, I'd love you to follow along with me in the story. Uh, page 201, if you don't have a Bible, we have these Bibles, page 201, or otherwise, Judges chapter 13. But here's what we're going to look, look at. <clears throat> when we begin to live without any thought of God in our lives, when he doesn't have an, uh, a daily, moment-by-moment -moment impact in our lives, we begin to drift. When we begin to drift, bad things happen. Essentially, that's kind of what we're talking about. So let's talk about Samson. The first thing we note about him is he has a very interesting birth announcement, and it reminds us of certainly someone else, and that someone else is Jesus. So, uh, Judges chapter 13, verse 1. <coughs> Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man named, a man, a certain man of Zorah named Mona from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was childless until she gave birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you eat, do not eat anything unclean. Now if you're a pregnant woman, that's a tough thing. To, you basically are now being told your diet is going to be restricted. Um, and again understand I'm not making a mean statement I'm just saying she, her diet is going to be limited very drastically you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy will be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb 
He will, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now, that last phrase is very interesting. So if you were a mother who got this promise, you would think, oh, look at this. I'm going to get a son who's going to be a leader, somebody that people will look up to. And that's not what she got. So Samson's mother believed the word of God. She kept the vows. See, she had to keep the vows for her son until her son was born. And then, while he was young, made sure that he kept the vows um, of the uh, vows of the Nazarite. Um, <clears throat> but we think of another mother who had a promise of a son, right? And what this son will come in, save their people from their sins, right? So we have another mother, uh, both uh, Samson's mother and, and, and Mary, Jesus' mother, uh, they put themselves at God's disposal. They said, whatever you, you want. Uh, Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Both Mary and uh, the mother of Samson uh, trusted God and uh, that he had a plan and that he would keep his promises. So they're trusting. So this is a very interesting start. It's a great start. But seemingly, as you read the story, you say, well, it can be nothing but good from here. And you would say uh, you would be wrong if you said that. And then another interesting thing is we see that um, the nation of Israel was no longer crying out to God. Remember, we ta we've been talking about, in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the book of Judges, how they cry out and they say, God, help us because we have these oppressors and God raises up a judge and a judge delivers them. And then they, they kind of go on with peace and then they uh, fall back into sin and they begin to worship the gods of the land. And now we're at a place where they're not even calling out for a deliverer. They have so accommodated their lifestyle. They have, uh, there, there's no resistance to their enslavement. Um, it, later in the narrative, the men of Judah, as you start reading the book of, of Judges, uh, they begin to do war against the people, the nations, and the land. And the men of Judah are the first ones to say, we'll go. We want to help. We want to be part of this. And what we're going to find is the men of Judah are the ones that hand Samson over to, to their own enemies. The judge that God is raising up. You'll, you'll see that in the story. So they've not only accommodated and become like the culture around them, but when God raises up a judge to deliver them, they don't want it. They don't want it. They, they've accommodated to the culture that much. Um, uh, they, they, in chapter 15, verse 11, it says, The Philistines are rulers over us. So what a change from, from the first part of the book of Judges to now. Uh, they, they've gone from saying, we're going to take the land, we're going to, God is our God, and now they've gone to a place where somebody, God raises up a judge and they say, we're going to turn you over. The people are not aware of their enslavement, and that's the nature of cultural accommodation. Things that would, and that's true for us too, by the way, things that we would cringe at maybe a year or two ago, now we're doing it. And we're not cringing anymore. We're not concerned about it. And that's the way that drift goes. See, when we're not, when we're not allowing the word of God to renew our hearts and our minds on a daily basis, we're not talking to our Father in heaven, when we're not allowing other Christians to pour into our lives, uh, when we're not doing that, then we're, we're not giving ourselves uh, the opportunity to, uh, to look at our culture with heavenly eyes, with perceptive eyes. The Israelites 
or on the brink of extinction. They're in danger of losing their national identity. Uh, within a couple of generations, they could be, have completely lost their, 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 their distinguishing characteristics from the culture. They're becoming just like the culture. And God is going to have to do something because Israel, that's God's people, right? So God's plan would, be, uh, would prevent this from happening uh, through, um, the, interestingly enough, the uncontrolled passions of Samson. So it's very interesting. So, so Samson's mother's promise is beautiful baby who's going to be the deliverer for the nation of Israel. But he's got to be, remain and keep these Nazarite vows. And so the mother does it. Samson, not so much. You'll see that in the next passage we look at. Uh, but this deliverer, Samson, he is a handful. I mean, he is something else. So jump over to uh, Judges 14. And we'll see how God is going to use Samson's vices to accomplish his sovereign plan. <coughs> Judges 14, page 202. Samson went down to Timnah and, and, and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his mother and father, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His, mother, his father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our own people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get the wife. Now, uh, but Samson said to his father, get her for me, she is the right one. Now there's arranged marriages and all that going on. But the, the other part of it is the, the parents are struggling because, and they're, they're not racist, this is not an ethical decision, this is a religious decision. They are not of the same faith. They're, they're, they're worshiping multiple gods. And basically his parents are saying, you need to... Um, Follow, uh, find a, a woman to marry who loves Yahweh like, like we do. And uh, Samson would have none of it. Uh, but notice verse 4 because it's very interesting. I think it's, I think it's in many ways it's a key to the whole Samson uh, story. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord. Now wait a minute, sir. <laughs> Let me read the rest of it. Who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines for at the time, they were ruling over Israel. So what is God doing here? This is very interesting. What God is going to do is he's going to take the uncontrolled passions of Samson. And he's going to use them to drive a wedge between the Philistines and his people. Which is kind of amazing. You, you, so, so before you say, well, God is condoning Samson's sinful behavior. No, that's not what's happening. In spite of Samson's be sinful behavior, God is going to work his perfect will out. And he does the same in your life and mine many times. Uh, so here's God's plan for Samson. Um, uh, verse 4 tells us that what God is going to do is, through Samson and through this marriage to this Philistine woman, he is going to drive, uh, he's, actually he's going to cause a blood feud between uh, the, the Philistines and the Israelites. And uh, that's essentially what's going to happen. So God is going to use the uncontrolled passions of Samson. And his relationship with this woman in Timra to create a wedge between his people and the Philistines. Samson, by his passions, began a blood feud that would separate the Israelites and the Philistines forever. So what goes on here is <clears throat> there's a party of uh, who knows what kind of what's going on here, but he has he has he's given a wedding party, uh, and these men say to him, "You need to give us so many." Um, uh, they do a wager, and Samson loses, and you can read all about it. But essentially what comes down to is Samson comes back and realizes that 
This father has given this wife to someone else. So Samson becomes pretty angry about it. And he becomes very violent about it. And so uh, it causes a, a, a real big problem. The Philistines now, Samson's now come up on the radar. And the Philistines are gunning for him now. <clears throat> but the amazing thing is this. How far God's people have, have fallen. Uh, God's people were committed to remain uh, at peace with the Philistines. They had no idea that God had raged up a judge to save them. Uh, they didn't care. They didn't need a judge. They, they, if you were to say to them, uh, listen, you have the Philistines ruling over you. You're worshiping their gods. Uh, don't you want some help? And they would say, no, we're fine. We're good. We're good. Because they had, they had, they had accommodated with their culture. Now, here's the point. They were so lost that they sent 3,000 men not to fight the Philistines, but to, to go to Samson and to turn him over to the Philistines, the enemy. And so Samson basically says, okay, listen, I'll go peacefully. Uh, you're not going to murder me. No, we won't murder you. And he says, all right, tie me up and hand me over. So he, he, they hand him over. They hand one of their own citizens over to the enemy. That's how far they've fallen. Now, what's going on with Samson? You can read about him. He's just this. I see him as a, uh, a whirling mass of passion and, and violence. And he's just kind of doing his own thing, whatever he wants to do, and living the way he wants. But he has this incredible strength. And it says that the Spirit of God comes upon him, and when the Spirit of God comes upon him, he just becomes like a superman. And he could just destroy things and people, and, and he does. I mean, he's, he's a, you know, an amazing warrior. But here's what happens. Samson thinks that uh, just because God has given him power, that God is favoring him. In other words, God loves him I mean, in a sense that... You know, you have kids sometimes, and you, you, you love them, but sometimes they behave badly. And you, 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 you still love them, and uh, you always will. But Samson, at this point, was thinking, here's what he's thinking. He's thinking, well, I have all this power, and God has given me this power, so he must be okay with how I'm behaving. <laughs> right? That's what he's thinking. But that's not the case. Um, we, we see this all the time. There's times in the New Testament where we come across, in, you know, in the Old Testament, we come across people like Samson and others, we've looked at them, where they're do, God has given them great gifts, but they're spiritually shallow. They're, they're lacking holiness, they're lacking character, they're, they're just really just lost people. They're not, because that's the problem. You go to the book of Judges and you go, okay, so where are the, where are the Christian-like people there? Where are the people acting, behaving like Christians? Well, there's a few in the book of Judges, but not too many. And the point is, that's what you find. You find people who have been gifted by God, but they aren't living for God. Uh, Samson confused the gifting of God with the approval of God. He was quick to excuse his behavior because, after all, God is blessing me. And we see that today in the church. And how do we see it? Well, many people say, well, look, I have the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, 
but I don't have the fruit of the Spirit. Now, they wouldn't say they have, don't have the fruit of the Spirit. They would say, uh, they, I don't know what they would say, but basically they prefer the gifts of the Spirit over the fruit of the Spirit. And it goes like this. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14, it talks about the proper use of the gifts of the Spirit within the local church, right? Uh, some of the skills are for uh, skills, uh, gifts of the Spirit are really skills for doing, abilities for, for serving, and for helping people. That's why they're given. The gifts were given for the good of the church, not to show off, not to become, look at me. Uh, they, were, they were skills for doing and abilities for serving and helping people. But they can also be used selfishly. So that's, uh, that's 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. And we come to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and Paul tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are the character traits of being. They're the qualities such as peace, patience, gentleness, and self-control. Many times I have seen people who have the gifts of the Spirit, but not the fruit of the Spirit. Now, it, interestingly enough, you come to 1 Corinthians 13. That's the chapter we generally read at weddings, right? Love is this, love is this. Now, it's very interesting that Paul puts that between chapter 12 and chapter 14. Because essentially what he says, you could speak in tongues till you're blue in the face. You could speak words of prophecy that are amazing. You can do all these gifts. But if you don't have love, it's meaningless. And so basically Paul's saying, you can have all the gifts of the Spirit, but if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, it is all wasted. Wasted. And so there's a situation where it's easy to say, well, God has gifted me with this, this spiritual gift. Uh, even though I'm not living according with the fruit of the Spirit, God must be pleased with what I'm doing. Don't fall for that. Samson mistakenly assumed that because God had gifted him, God was pleased with him. And many people today, Christians today, think, well, because God is giving me this gift, this ability, then he doesn't care about my behavior, or he overlooks my bad behavior, that I fly off the handle, that I don't use my mouth very well, that I am not patient, that I am all those different things. We excuse us and say, but look at all the good things I'm doing, right? But such was not the case. Samson had come to a place where he sincerely believed, and, and this is where the wheels come off for Samson, that it was his power, not God's. That, that, that really, it really wasn't even that God gifted him. This was, he was a special boy, and he had special talents. And God is going to teach him a powerful lesson. We're going to see that in a minute. So uh, jump over to chapter 16, this is page 204, because we're going to see Samson. He comes to understand that in his weakness, God has made him strong. Um, so let me give you the context of what's going on here. He meets this, so he's, he wanted to marry this Philistine, and essentially the Philistines come back and they murder this father, this parent, these parents, and this girl. Um, that's a, you can read that chapter. But So now he finds a new girlfriend, and her name is Delilah. And this is the famous story of Samson and Delilah. So, essentially, uh, the Philistines basically bribe Delilah, and they basically say, you, if you can figure out what his weakness is, we will give you all, you know, whatever they're going to give. They're going to give her a lot, okay? So, uh, 
he, she says, well, if you love me, you'll tell me um, what is the source of your strength. And he makes something up. And if you tie my hands with this type of string, I can't break out of it. So she ties him up, and she says, Samson, they're at the door. And he breaks up, and he wakes up, and he breaks the thing, and he kills all the men that are trying to kill him. You would think, okay, I can't trust her anymore, right? Wouldn't you think that? But when you're addicted, and when you, uh, you know, you just can't say no to your passions. So she says, well, you don't love me. If you loved me, you wouldn't have lied to me. Now tell me the truth. And he says, all right, all right. And he tells her another thing. And so she does that. And, she, you know, the story goes again. Samson, they're at the door. And he jumps up and he wipes them out again. She goes, why would you do that to me? Why wouldn't you love me the way I need to be loved? And so uh, she does it again, and he falls for it again. And she does, ties him up again, restrains him. And once again, I'm, here's what I'm thinking as I'm reading through that. Not only am I thinking, why does Samson keep doing this? I'm wondering, like, if I'm like the soldiers that are coming in, and I've heard what's happened up to this point, I'm going, you go, I'll, I'll, I'll go next, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll go next, right? Um, so the third group comes in, same thing, Samson, get up. And sure enough, he gets up and just wails on them, destroys them. She finally says, I can't believe it. And she just throws the, uh, the Academy Award performance and, Samson finally says, you know, if you take a razor to my hair, I lose all my strength. So she, he fell asleep. She cut his hair. And this is, uh, this is where we jump into the text. This is uh, verse 17 of chapter 16. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used at my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. Now, I haven't lived according to that. I vi he doesn't say I violated that left and right over the years. I have drunk wine. I have touched dead carcasses. I, I've done all sorts of things to violate it. But he's saying this is, you know. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. <laughs> I can imagine them going, okay, this is getting old here. Come back once more, he told, he told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. See, that's the payoff. Do you remember someone else who got silver for betraying? Someone, yeah, that's not to be forgotten. So the Philistines returned with silver in their hands after putting him to sleep on her lap. She called for somebody to shave off uh, the seven braids of his hair, and uh, she so uh, began and began to subdue him. As his strength left him, then she called Samson. The Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, if I go out. I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did this last line. You ought to underline this in your Bibles. He did not know that the Lord had left him. 
He did not know the Lord had left him. I think that's one of the saddest verses in his life. He didn't know the Lord had left him. He failed to understand that he no longer had the power and presence of God in his life. You see, neither his hair nor his Nazarite vow was the source of his strength. God was the source of his strength. The grace, and he didn't understand the grace of God, that God had graciously given him this strength. He thought it was him. He thought it was something magical to do with his hair. He thought it may have been his vow, the Nazarite vow that he really didn't keep. The fact was it was the grace of God. But here's the thing. He didn't know that God was no longer with him. I want to ask you a question. In the past week, the past two weeks, the past month, would you have noticed if God had left your life? Would you have been aware of it? Would you have said, something's wrong here? I've got to figure out what that is. Would you have said, there's something missing, and, I, and it's really important. And I want to just challenge you. Maybe as you think about coming to the end of a year and the beginning of a new year, you say, God, how am I going to flame the fire so that I'll, I'll know the moment that something is wrong? Because see, here's what happened. The, the, in our lives, generally what happens is the flame doesn't go out overnight. It goes out little by little, day by day. And Samson didn't realize it. He stood up, was ready to fight, and um, he didn't have the power of God. So he is taken prisoner. He's brutalized. His eyes are gouged out. He is powerless. He is mocked. And in his last act of faith, uh, he brings the house down. Turn over to... Chapter 16, verse 25. This is page 205 of the Chair Bible. Let me tell you what's going on here. So, <clears throat> Samson's taken prisoner. And he is, there's a great celebration in the temple. About 3,000 people are in the temple. Men, women, and children. And they're all worshiping their gods. And they're all mocking Samson. And Samson doesn't, you know, he, he's bound, but he, he's blind. And for all practical purposes, they feel as though he's, he's powerless. But his hair is beginning to grow back, and God is giving him one last, uh, is going to give him one last burst of superhuman strength. And it looks as though he's asked to be placed between pillars that are holding the temple up. And that's where we are. So verse 25 of chapter 16. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant <coughs> who held his hand, he had to be held by, led around by hand because he couldn't see. Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were 3,000 uh, 
on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. <coughs> then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me, let me with one blow get revenge in the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the center pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other, kind of like this. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all of his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Then he killed more people when he died than when he lived. And here is where we have, the really, the one time, and it's his final act where he shows faith in God. Because he acknowledges that strength and power come from God. And he prays to God, O sovereign Lord, remember me, O God. Please strengthen me just as you once, once more. And let me not... Uh, let me with one blow get revenge the Philistines from my eyes. I think this is a different Samson than the one who presumed upon his strength, who said, well, I have the gifts, so it doesn't matter how I behave. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 and 34, we're told that Samson was a man of faith. And I believe this is one, of, this is the, the one place in his story where we could say Samson exercised faith. It was a last act of faith. So there's two questions that I want to just talk about as we close, as we think about Samson. The first question is this, and it's a great question to say in reflective of this past year and looking forward into the next year. Number one, is God working his will out in spite of you or in partnership with you? See, the amazing thing here is that God accomplished his will to put a, a, a wedge, a divide between his people and the Philistines, and he used the passions and, and the, the, just the, uh, the antics of Samson to do it. Israel was no longer under the bondage of the Philistines after Samson brought the temple down, but more than that, he created a wedge because there had been no wedge. The, the nation of Israel has, had accommodated themselves so much to their enemies that they didn't care anymore. <coughs> so my question to you is, is God working his will out in spite of you or in partnership with you? I would say for Samson, God accomplished his will in spite of Samson's behavior. That verse 4 is very interesting because what he's telling the, the parents is, he's going to be a Nazarite, he's going to be dedicated to me, and, and I'm going to use him to drive a wedge between my people and the Philistines. I'm going to use his bad behavior. And that's where we're, we come to Romans where it says, God works out all things for good. Now, were his, was his behavior good? No. It was bad behavior. It was awful behavior. It was terrible behavior. But God can even take that and turn it around for his glory. Somehow God can do that. And some of you think, my life is over because I failed, I sinned, I've done this thing. God, I just want you to say, remember Samson. Now, it's much, 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 much better that you say, God, I want to be a willing accomplice to your will. I don't want to fight you. I want to work with you. I want to be used by you. 
That's a much different perspective to have. It's waking up every day and saying, God, use me today for your glory. It's a very different thing. So the question is, is God working his will out in spite of you or in partnership with you? And, and how's that going? How's that going? The second thing is, what will be the legacy of your life? Samson comes to the end of his life and realizes he's wasted his whole life. He's wasted his whole life. He could have been such a better life, and yet he wasted his whole life. And the second part of that is don't wait to the end of your life to figure it out. Figure it out today. What are you really living for? What is the most important thing in your life? What is it that, that you say, this is the most important thing in my life? And figure that out. Don't, don't waste your life because if you don't know what is important and what is essential and what is the thing in your life, then you'll live for everything. And, and of course, you know that the, the only thing that is worthy of your life is, is living for Christ, living for Jesus. Samson, basically, his last act was really the only act of obedience his whole life. What a sad commentary. But it tells us where we are in the book of Judges. We're in the book of Judges where we have people who God can't even find a decent judge. There's a number of times in the Old Testament where God says, where are the people who will love me and serve me? Do I always have to use people who, who, who use my name but don't really love me and don't really care about my will? God does it today. I think God is saying today, where are the men and women? Where are the young people that will just will, will do my will and, and work with me instead of against me? Stand up and do the right thing instead of the wrong thing. Instead of going along with the culture and, 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 and allowing the culture to mold you, Paul says we need to not allow the world to squeeze us into its mold, but to be different and to sacrifice ourselves, to make ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Where are those parents? Where are those, those husbands and wives? Where are those men and women? Where are those young people that say, I want to live for Jesus Christ? In a culture that is mocking him more and more. I wonder sometimes if our Father in Heaven says, is there anyone there that, that will work with me? That will walk against the current? I'll close with this. Samson's an incredible picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus is a, bit, is a better picture of uh, a better Samson. The most important moment of Samson's life was his death. For in death he performed the role of, a res of the rescuer of Israel. He fulfilled his life purpose in his death. God accomplished his will even in spite of Samson's life and the way he lived. But Jesus is better than Samson. Both, Je both Samson and Jesus uh, betr were betrayed by someone who acted like a friend. Samson was, was uh, betrayed by Delilah. And Jesus was betrayed by Judas, right? For silver, right? Both men were handed over to their gentle, Gentile uh, oppressors. As Samson was held, handed over to the Philistine, Jesus was holding, held over to, handed over to the Romans. Both were tortured and bound and put on public display um, to be mocked. 
Samson was in the middle of the temple being mocked and ridiculed by the people. They were, they were shouting barbs and, and saying terrible things and mocking him and making fun of him. And Jesus hung on the cross and people were around him shouting out insults and mocking him and making fun of him. Both died with their arms outstretched. Samson pushing the pillars. Jesus hanging on a cross. Both brought down the power of the enemy. Samson destroyed the power of the Philistines. Jesus destroyed the power of the enemy, Satan, the devil. This is how Paul puts it. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So, how you doing? Are you working with him? Or is your life kind of working against him? Don't wait to the end of your life and, and look back and say, I've wasted it. Decide now that you're going to live for him and allow him to work with you and work with him and allow his spirit to guide you and, 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 and be, take time in the word and, and talk to him and pray and be with other Christians so that you can grow in your faith and sustain your faith because if you don't, you will drift. And you drift little by little by little until you realize it's been a year or two since you opened the Bible, since you prayed, since you went to church. And you say, how in the world did that happen? Simply this. You allowed yourself to accommodate to the culture around you. It's very easy to do. So put some stakes down today and tomorrow and this week and this year and say, no more drifting. It's time to go upstream. It's time to be used of God rather than God using me in spite of myself. It's time to say, I am going to swim upstream against the culture. I am going to begin to walk with God more closely this year than last year. And as you do that, you will find life won't get easier, but it will get better more rewarding, more encouraging. And when you lay your, pillow, your head down on your pillow at night, you'll say, I've tried the best of my ability to live for God. When you honor God with his, your life, he will honor you. Stand with me, let's pray. So help us, Father, because it's kind of easy to understand, but it's hard to do. Thank you that you can take our lives and our mistakes and our sins and turn them around for good. But that's not the way you want to operate in our lives. You want to make us into your masterpieces. But that can only come as we willingly submit to you on a daily, moment-by-moment basis. Help us, Father, to 
work in conjunction with your Holy Spirit so that you can accomplish your perfect will in our lives. We pray this not only for our good, but for the good of those that you want us to encourage and minister to and just for your glory. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.